Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode, one from me and one from Tracy V. Wilson. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Welcome to this day in history class. It's July 30th. The Diggers Republic of Clipdrift was established in South Africa on this day in 1870. So a quick caveat on this one. There's a little historical cloudiness around this event. The republic in question is also called the Diggers Republic and the Diamond Diggers Republic and sometimes described as not even a republic at all. And a lot of those sources that we have on it are third hand at best. But this one event is like a little snapshot of ongoing international strife in South Africa over who would get control of its diamonds. So A huge rush for diamonds started in South Africa after they were discovered there in 1866. And multiple different peoples and factions were all fighting for control of the same diamond territory. There were the Boer, also pronounced more like Boer, who were people of Dutch descent who had colonized South Africa. And there were multiple different factions within these people. There were also the British, and multiple indigenous peoples, including the Khoikhoi and the Griqua. They all were trying to gain access to this same area until the president of the Transvaal, which was one of these Boer factions, declared that it was all Boer property. Naturally, this infuriated everyone else, and a group of immigrant miners from Britain led by Stafford Parker fought back. They tried to drive all of the Transvaal personnel out of the region. Parker had been born in England in 1833, and it's not totally clear when he made his way to South Africa, but he does seem to have been in the area and working as a miner by 1869. Once they had pressed back the Transvaal forces, Parker declared the whole area its own republic, that being the Republic of Clipdrift, named for its capital of Clipdrift, and Stafford Parker was elected as its president. So in some accounts, this isn't described so much as the establishment of a republic as more like the creation of a mutual protection agreement among the miners. And instead of being the president, Stafford Parker was more just like the executive of this whole, uh, of this whole mutual agreement. Regardless of which is more accurate, the result was the same. About a thousand British miners moved into the area and they started working out rules about who could stake claims where and who should have authority over what. But this self-proclaimed republic didn't last for very long. Boer forces kept trying to negotiate to take it back over. And eventually a British force moved in and did take it back over. But this was just the start of ongoing back and forth about who had control of it. It was eventually absorbed into Griqualand West, and it later became part of the Orange Free State. And like I said, this was part of the ongoing conflict between the British and Dutch Boer forces in South Africa and against South Africa's indigenous peoples. And these conflicts, which sometimes escalated into all-out wars, went on for decades. Thanks to Christopher Hasiotis for his research work on today's episode and to Tari Harrison for her audio skills in all of these episodes. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tune in tomorrow for an event from 1492 that is usually overshadowed by Christopher Columbus's famous voyage. Hey, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. 
The day was July 30th, 1511. Giorgio Vasari was born in Arezzo, Italy. He would go on to become a painter, architect, and writer, and his work would form the foundation for modern art historiography and the prototype for artist biographies. When he was a boy, Vasari studied under the artists Guillaume Dumasier and Luca Signorelli. After he moved to Florence in the 1520s, he began apprenticing under Andrea del Sarto and Baccio Bandinelli. Vasari said that Michelangelo also taught him, but it's not clear whether that's true. Regardless, the two artists knew each other, and Michelangelo had a huge influence on Vasari's work. Vasari painted in the Mannerist style, an artistic style that emphasized artificiality over realistic depiction. Mannerist works can seem kind of unsettling, but that's characteristic of the style. As an artist, he is perhaps best known for his allegorical frescoes in the Palazzo Vecchio, done for Duke Cosimo I. He also painted frescoes in the dome of the Florence Cathedral. But Vasari is better known for his work as an architect. His patronage was drawn largely from the house of Medici. He renovated the churches Santa Maria Novella and Santa Croce. And he celebrated for the Uffizi, a building in Florence that was originally built to house the civic offices, guilds, and Medici court artists. In 1564, Vasari also built the Vasari Corridor, a passage that connects the Uffizi with the Palazzo Pitti. But his writing is what he's best remembered for. In 1550, his book, Lives of the Most Eminent Painters, Sculptors, and Architects, was published. An enlarged and revised edition was published in 1568. Both editions were successful. The book was composed as a series of artists' biographies, and it charted the evolution of Italian art, including people like Giotto and Michelangelo. The biographies were not completely historically accurate, though, and they contained some unlikely anecdotes. The most reliable biographies were those of Vasari's contemporaries and the preceding generation. Still, the book was instrumental in the emergence of art history as a modern scholarly discipline. It remains a valuable text on the theory, practice, techniques, and criticism of art. The book traces the development of art through classical antiquity, the Dark Ages, and the Renaissance. In the second edition, Vasari spent a little more time on non-Florentine and even non-Italian artists. Some of the most notable changes from the first to the second edition were the additions to the life of Michelangelo, who had died in 1564. Because of this book, Vasari has been called the first art historian. Vasari was financially well-off, too. He built a house in Arezzo, and he helped found the Florence Academy and Company of the Arts of Drawing with the help of Cosimo I. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about Vasari, you can listen to the episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class called Giorgio Vasari. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.